Sawbones is a show about medical history, and nothing the hosts say should be taken as medical advice or opinion. It's for fun. Can't you just have fun for an hour and not try to diagnose your mystery boil? We think you've earned it. Just sit back, relax, and enjoy a moment of distraction from that weird growth. You're worth it. <laughs> Hello, everybody, and welcome to Sawbones, a marital tour of misguided medicine. I'm your co-host, Justin McElroy. And I'm Sydney McElroy. And uh, I'm so happy to be here with you, Sid. Wait, your timer. Did you start your timer? It how started. St- it started. There. Now we know how long Sorry. we've been podcasting for. Yeah. My dad watches uh, our the kiddos while we record Sawbones with, with Carol, um, my, my stepmother, and they... Uh, if we're not done in 40 minutes, they'll abandon the children. They'll abandon the children. Mm-hmm. They'll, walk, they'll just leave them. They'll walk right out of the house. That's not true. No, that was a joke. That was not true. I don't, well, I don't want, I don't want your dad and Carol to think that we. It might be good to take dad down a peg. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> just, you know, so he's hustling. Um, well, I'll get right down to business. Yes. Justin, I'm really excited about this topic. I did not know about this, mm-hmm. uh, this little piece of history. This is one of those where it's like history, medical adjacent. It's medical, but also just interesting stuff. Mm-hmm. Until Chris emailed us about it. So thank you, Chris. Because I this we have done an episode uh, Chris on- Chris Nolan? No. Director of Inception? No, it was not wow. Chris Nolan. No, I can Mr. Confirm, Nolan, what an honor. Not Chris Nolan. What an honor it is. Definitely not Chris Nolan. We have done an episode on arsenic in the past, right? Like you can listen to that. That was back in 2016. Mm-hmm. So that's out there. That's out there. Uh but one aspect, I went back through to see, like, did we talk about this? Because I don't remember this. One aspect of arsenic that we did not discuss was its use in wallpaper. Mm, seems like bold, a bold choice. Yes. And the impact that that may have had on the health and well-being of those within the walls. We have a terrible track. Can I just say, like, walls for humans we have a really bad track record with walls. We have a bad track record with walls? Okay, hear me out. Seriously, no joke. Asbestos in the walls, right? Yeah, yeah, bad. yeah, bad. Lead paint. Yeah, yeah. Bad. Arsenic in wallpaper, apparently. Yeah. Bad. Like, we're really bad at this. This is the one where it's like, I don't know. Why can't we figure this out? Everybody did mud, and we should have stopped there. Mud, this is good. Well, there are issues with mud, too, but... What do you mean? <laughs> Mud's mud. God made dirt so dirt don't hurt. Come on. Uh, mud. Okay. We talked about, I want to talk about arsenic. Dried dung. That would. That's where we should. There have. are definitely issues with that. Mm. Poop has a lot of bacteria in it. Yeah, but you dry it, Sydney. You heard me say I know, dry but like, it. You heard me say dry it. I think you're being, I think you're being kind of jingoistic And the right smell. Now. Yeah, the, it's dried, Sydney. It's dried. Do you think dried poop doesn't smell? Yeah, it's dried. 
the smell evaporates with the water in me. <laughs> okay. I, I think I would know what I'm talking I think in this area, I so, would know what I'm talking You're the doctor. I'm the poop brick expert. The we Okay. We largely focused on the mm, – I don't want to talk about dried poop anymore. There was largely uh, – okay. We talked about arsenic as poison. <laughs> yeah, but now I'm, we're going to rehabilitate and, it today and talk about its great design properties. We also talked about the fact that it was used as a medicine mm. that poisoned people. Like there was, in, there was the intentional use of arsenic as poison – there was the unintentional, oops, sorry, we thought it was medicine use. <laughs> um, we talked a lot about something called Fowler's Drops. Do you remember this? It was an arsenic-based cure-all that hung yeah. around a long time. It was made in 1786 and right. used until like the early 1900s mm-hmm. for anything. Um, they also used to use arsenic for syphilis. And it could treat syphilis sort of if you didn't die from the arsenic. But mm-hmm. anyway, we we didn't talk about the fact that like – Arsenic was used in a lot of other products because, mm-hmm. you know, those are more industrial uses and I kind of stayed away from that. But it does have like a medical, obviously, angle to it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so first, before we g- get into that, I want to talk about somebody named Carl Wilhelm Scheele. Okay. That's where this whole story starts. Uh, he was a Swedish-German chemist in the late 1700s and he identified like a bunch of of the elements, a bunch of elements and a bunch of organic acids. I know that doesn't sound very exciting just to say like he identified a bunch of elements, but this next sentence is going to uh, sound more exciting. He discovered oxygen. Okay. Now hold on. He discovered oxygen? Yes. He discovered oxygen. He was the first one to like, hey, oxygen. Wait, times must have been tough before that. I don't know what he, we were doing for this. He was the this. first one to isolate and say, like, this is, the, this is the big one. Oh, he didn't discover oxygen. I mean, like, oxygen already existed, but we didn't call it that. We didn't, well, we didn't know where, we didn't, we couldn't say, like, there it is, point to, like, that that atom and be like, there it is, there's yeah. the oxygen, until Carl. Poor nitrogen, too. It's he, like, you know, nit- you know, I make up most of the air around you. Yeah, you know? but that's not the one we need. Yeah, that's fair. Uh, although he wasn't first to publish this, so he didn't really get the credit for it. Who was the first to publish? Somebody else. <laughs> They're not. This is an episode this not about a, them. I'm not talking about them. They They're, got enough credit for discovering oxygen, even yeah. though it was really our friend Carl. Um, and apparently, like this was a theme. Like at one point, Isaac Asimov called him Hard Luck Shield because he would like routinely discover things and then not be the first one to write about it, and so not get the credit for it. Poor guy. Poor Carl. Um, but he found a bunch of elements and organic acids and all kinds of things and published tons of papers on all this different stuff, okay? And among all of his different discoveries and things he published about, he discovered that if you mix white arsenic with nitric acid, you get arsenic acid. And then about three years later, <laughs> he found that one of the salts you get from mixing arsenic acid arsenious acid, uh, could be mixed with copper ammonium sulfate to make copper arsenite. Can you believe it? Whoa. I'm going to need a second to copper figure out Copper arsenite. What, yeah, that's exciting. Yeah. Is it? Okay. It is exciting because it was green. Oh. It was oh, a, it's a dye. It's a beautiful green that he discovered. It was a, it was a very, very... Pretty green, this, right, this uh, that would uh, go on to be known as Shields Green. So he did get that 
Like he did get credit for this one. The, spe- the specific, like the shade or the dye was called shield screen. This pigment that was made, this color. That is pretty. It was a beautiful green. It's beautiful. It, was, it, it uh, would be used in paints primarily. I'm trying to decide pigment. how you would describe it. It's sort of like, um, I, the word that leaves to mind is like jade. It's sort mm-hmm. of like maybe like a blue, a slightly more bluish jade. If that. It was a very pretty, uh, copper often will make these sort of green colors. If you think of like the patina on metal, like on cop, like you know what I mean, as it ages, this is sort of where we're going with this. Did you know in Japanese they they uh, refer to stoplights as being uh, red and blue that for a long time, like they didn't distinguish for a long time. So mm. you think of that just like as part of blue. <laughs> it's like That's part of the blue family. There's never a word for it now, I mean, but like. So so he made this green. Mm-hmm. Okay, he found this green or blue. And if you're in Japan or either way, the, it was very popular among artists of the time. Manet used this green, mm. um, and then building on that knowledge, another there's a there's the birth of another green because both of these greens come into play in this story. Um, so we knew that arsenic and copper made lovely colors, and so there was this German paint manufacturer named Wilhelm Sattler. Another Wilhelm. Whoa. There's. There's another Wilhelm I already talked. Yeah, oh, Carl Wilhelm. There are all kinds of Wilhelms. Anyway, he mixed vinegar with- It was like their bill. <laughs> he mixed vinegar with white arsenic on copper carbonate, and he got another beautiful green that he would call emerald green or Vienna green or Paris green or Schweinfurt green. I guess it depended on where you were, who got credit for it. Uh, but this other green- So I like this less. I would say this is like a- um, I love describing colors on podcasts. It's like a- Sort of like a sage, like a light sage. Mm. This that's one, evocative for you. It looks like the color that Disney uses on construction walls to distract you from the fact that they're doing construction uh, there. Okay. Go away, green. Well, this of. one, this one was very popular as well, uh, particularly among the impressionists. Um, so now we have all these beautiful, deadly green paints that have been made. <laughs> shades, colors. You can use them for anything. That you want to dye, right? I'm saying paint for like actual, you know, artists making or, paintings. But ironically, like, anything that you want to dye. <laughs> yeah. It works. Either, either form. Um, I do think it's important because uh, this is Sawbones. So I do think it is important to mention. You probably thought you were listening to The Color Zone or one of many other artistic would, podcasts our family makes. <laughs> what, would, what would become of poor Carl? Oh, I mean, no. because on Sawbones, I always have to follow them to the end, right? Follow you know right how, to the grave. You know how I am. Um, a marital tour of misguided medicine that always concludes in the grave. <laughs> Poor Carl worked extensively with heavy metals oh, gone. while making his discoveries. You got to keep the lab and bumping somehow, right? You would eventually. Hours, you got to have to crank it up the metal and. <laughs> Not those, like the elements. And he would eventually meet an untimely death due to heavy metal poisoning. Um, they didn't really know it at the time, but like years later, they recognized a lot of the symptoms. Like specifically, he had a lot of mercury poisoning, but that was a a job hazard it's always at the real, time. Always a real momentum killer, Sid. <laughs> anyway, um, but, well, <laughs> I mean, I mentioned this because like I think that it underlines at the time – we were making all of these sort of scientific discoveries, and we we didn't always know what we were playing around with. Yeah, well, I mean that's, it's the same I mean, story. By as definition, like, right? I mean, this is experimentation. Yeah, 
Um, and I mean, it, the same story would happen with radiation, right? Of course, yeah. Like the, there were a lot of things that we would get exposed to in terms of radiation before we went, oops, that's actually bad. Um, anyway. You were worried it's going to be like that with cell phones. I was? Do you ever worry about that? No. Okay. It's Well, it's too late. They're ubiquitous. They're here. They're with us. All right. So this green pigment, I guess, maybe shouldn't have been such a big deal um, as it turned out to be. But at this moment in history, before these colors, before these specific pigments were sort of introduced, um, there, I guess there wasn't like an easily uh, made or purchased green pigment for things. Oh, okay. There just wasn't one yet. They, they were expensive. Um, and I guess until this arsenic copper-based stuff, they weren't thought of as the best greens. Like a lot of people thought, um, that's a good green, but I could see a better green if I just looked at like a plant or tree. <laughs> Those are so better we, greens. we coveted that green. Yeah. <laughs> Watching so, the plants get to have all the great greens. Right. Like, well, and I mean, I guess that makes sense if like you're trying to make a painting of a landscape and you want it to be something that someone would prefer to look at to just like out the window. Right. It at least at least needs to be on par with that green, right? So if you can't get to that level of green, I'm just going to go outside. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you, what you were describing is bar none the wildest way I've ever heard a human being talk about art. If the painting... Is it better than outside? I could just, this is how you think about art. I could just go outside and see a tree. Make paintings that look like stuff that I can't is, see. Make a painting about a dragon. This is, this is the way I think about art. Absolutely the wildest, wildest way. I only hang paintings in the winter because in the winter it's not sunny and it can be sunny in painting. <laughs> why we only have paintings of things like Jolly Pirate Donuts and pepperoni rolls yeah. in our house. I can't see those all the time, so and we put nice them on the wall. It's nice to be able to refer to them when I <laughs> Anyway, um, this new pigment excited a lot of artists, but it also caught the attention of others. So not just people who made fine art, but like designers, people in, you know, industrial designing type things, um, and specifically wallpaper designers. Wallpaper color was an issue. Um, wallpaper was really big as we're moving into like the mid 1800s. Wallpaper was having its moment big mm -hmm. time, right? Like yeah. everybody wanted wallpaper because previously like a more fashionable choice would be like to have, you know, tapestries or some sort of textile kind of thing. Like, you know, those like old fashioned, beautiful wall coverings and gotcha. stuff. Wallpaper was really taking over if you could afford it. Um, and, and it was becoming more affordable in response to this. And then uh, the other big problem, though, is that you had to be really careful what sort of colors you put on the wall because we're, we're moving from the time where many houses would have been lit by, like, candles and things like that into the oil, into the oil and gas lamp time period. And prior to you having oil and gas lamps everywhere um, – I guess by candlelight, a lot of really bright colors would look very dingy. So like in the daytime, if you had like a green or blue on your wall or something, it might look really pretty. But then as the sun set and you were just lighting your house by candlelight, it looked bad. It looked gross. And so mm -hmm. you had to be really careful what you chose to put on your walls with the use of oil and gas lamps. 
it all of a sudden allowed for you to use different mm, colors on the walls, saying, yeah. right? Like all of a sudden it was desirable to put brighter colors like these greens on the walls. And uh, this new pigment really helped with that because now all of a sudden you could use it. You could use this bright green. Um, and it also, I, I'm, I'm saying green, but like it wasn't just green. You could use this as part of blues. It was also part of yellows. Mm. There were a lot of different colors of wallpaper and dyes of wallpaper that would come to incorporate these compounds, um, including arsenic, uh, because it was such a a beautiful pigment, right? So anyway, you could put this in and it would look like the greens outside. It could make yellows and blues more vibrant. It would really liven up your room. And now we had the lighting to actually see it. Um, and this is where uh, our next figure, who ultimately would be responsible for for this becoming so widespread, comes into play. Um, I think describing him as a wallpaper designer first is probably not fair because <laughs> um, he did a lot of other things that are probably a bigger deal, more important than like designing wallpaper. Um, but I want to talk about William Morris. Mm. And I'm going to tell you more about him. Right after we go to the billing department. Let's go. The medicines, the medicines that escalate macabre for the mouth. Sydney, you know how you're always saying that you'd like to build a Justin McRoy fan site full of all your favorite quotes, clips, videos, and hunky pictures of beloved podcaster Justin McRoy? I don't remember. Well, there's that- no need to wait any longer, Sydney, because Squarespace is going to make it easier. Then you could possibly believe to make a website uh, all about your favorite hunky podcasting superstar. I don't think I was going Squarespace, to. Squarespace, what is it? It's a tool. Think of it as the palette, the palette of a web design artist. But you don't have to be a web design artist. You could just take stuff off the palette that is created by real people that know what they're really doing and put it from the palette onto the Easel. The metaphor is broken down. Basically, you're going to be able to create great looking websites that have fantastic customer support and help you unlock your creativity and do whatever you want to with your small business or podcaster obsession. You can sell products. You can uh, post your videos. You can share your stories about how Justin has shaped your life and is also a fantastic father. Folks, you got to stop waiting to make your Justin McElroy fan site. Go to squarespace.com slash sawbones for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch your Justin McElroy fan site, use offer code sawbones to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. We have just started rehearsing for the summer theater. That's right. Summer starts in March around these parts. And that means we don't have much time at all in the evenings to make dinner. But we will not be just consuming Wendy's, uh, although there will be some Wendy's consumed. But we are going to have a little extra help with Factor, which delivers ready-to-eat, delicious meals right to your door. And not like junky stuff you get out of the freezer aisle, whatever. This is real, high-quality, chef-crafted stuff that in two minutes you're ready to eat it. I'm talking about some Southwestern-style turkey and mac. I think this week I'm going to be enjoying a shredded chicken taco bowl is 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 part of my plan. Um, but they got like fancy stuff. Listen to this. Where are you going to get this? Truffle butter filet mignon. I mean, seriously? From 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 a, a box? 
pre-prepared. All I got at two minutes. I'm eating filet mignon. That sounds delicious. Yeah, it sounds delicious. And you can give these a try. And it's not just these meals. We're talking pancakes, smoothies. They got some great wellness shots that are surprisingly delicious. And the meals you just eat and eat. There's no prepping, cooking, or cleanup. Get as much as you need by choosing your meals every week. You're going to get exactly what you want. No surprises here. Uh, and the meals, I can say, are delicious. So what do you got to lose? Head on over to factormeals.com slash sawbones50 and use code sawbones50 to get 50% off. That's code sawbones50 at factormeals.com slash sawbones50 to get 50% off. Look, it's a rough world out there, especially lately. I get it. So let's take care of our minds as best we can. I'm John Moe, host of Depression Mode with John Moe. Every week, I talk with comedians, actors, writers, musicians, doctors, therapists, and everyday folks about the obstacles that our world and our brains throw in front of us. Depression, anxiety, traumatic stress, all those mental health challenges that are way more common and more treatable than you might think. The first time I went to therapy, I was so ashamed, and I was like, can't believe I got to go into therapy. Like, I thought I could be a man, and Humphrey Bogart was never in therapy. And then my dad said, yeah, but he smoked a carton of cigarettes a day. Give your mind a break, give yourself a break, and join me for Depression Mode with John Moe. Sydney, you had a new character to uh, to start to start following. Who are we keeping up with now? William Morris. Now, I realized that it sounded like I was throwing shade at wallpaper designers. I didn't mean to do that. I just meant that William Morris did not primarily think of himself as a wallpaper designer. He didn't like um, that sort of uh, industrial design kind of stuff. He was really in, more into, like, the finer arts. Mm. He did that stuff, but he— that. He liked to be known for his poetry and his fine art and his writing. And um, he was a uh, a socialist who had a huge, like, social impact on British society um, and culture. And uh, and so I think he would rather be remembered for those things because he didn't – he particularly didn't even like wallpaper. Oh, really? No. He thought it was it was just what you did if you couldn't have fine – like textiles hanging on your walls, mm. then I guess you could resort to wallpaper. But in his mind, it was not what you should use. Um, so anyway, he made art and poetry, but he started this design company called uh, Morris Marshall Faulkner and & Company, and it designed fabrics and furniture and stained glass windows and tapestries and, of course, wallpaper as well. The finest thing. Um, and it was like a like sort of a bunch of artists working together. And their initial goal was to sell like they thought that the um the manufacturing practices of the time, like these the, of the Victorian era, were kind of shoddy. Mm-hmm. And this was sort of a rebellion, like a return to more natural things. We're gonna mm-hmm. use we're gonna make handcrafted things and we're gonna use natural dyes and Bespoke. natural substances. Yeah. Artisanal. Yeah. And it like he even he even tried to form this sort of like little kind of artist collective for a while and that was not that was a short-lived sort of project almost commune-esque but again that was not that he didn't really do that and he tried to run his business initially with like very socialist sort of principles Um, but he but there were some problems he struggled with that because as he said like it was hard to run a socialist business in a capitalist economy fair um Anyway, so he designed these as part of all this work that they did. He did design these very beautiful wallpapers, and they were very different than what was in fashion because they had these sort of like this grand scale, Mm -hmm. you know, 
um, something with like a very like large intricate pattern that you would put on a bigger wall, right? You, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Um, they were very pretty. Um, they were different than what a lot of people had. And even though the this group that made this work kind of fancied themselves like bohemian, these were loved. The things that they created were really loved by the wealthy and elite. Uh, ain't it always the way? Yeah. I mean, including royalty. Like he would eventually design for both London's St. James Palace and Balmoral Castle. Some really cool. The one at Balmoral Castle, I think, is very cool. It has like their initials in the design, and I don't know. But now I, I can do that in Animal Crossing, and it's like so. Well, <laughs> you know. Um, he also they did make affordable wallpaper for the people. Nice. As well. um, and the people loved it. And uh, his designs, and then other companies would follow suit. Like this would start this trend. This would really take off. He was not the only one making wallpaper. And as I'm going to get into, he was not the only one making wallpaper who would use these pigments and dyes that contained arsenic. Um, Many companies did this. It's just his were the best, right? So like he wasn't like doing anything worse than anybody else at the time. His were just the prettiest. Not unlike comedy podcasts. You can look up... (laughs) You can look up William Morris wallpaper designs online. They're they're beautiful. Okay. Um, like the trellis design, one of the first ones was really famous. Anyway, there's some beautiful designs you can see if you if you're interested. And he did make great use of this beautiful. Oh. Um, right, they're beautiful, and he made great use of this beautiful arsenic-based green you know pigment. The, okay, let me tell you. If you're driving, I'll give you the vibe. And I'm like such a non non aesthetic person, but it looks like it reminds me of something you'd see on like. When a Wes Anderson movie shows the text for the title of the movie, I imagine it like in front of a mm-hmm. background like this. You know yes, what I mean? Yes, that is like, that is a good yes, that is a good vibe. And the the a lot of them look like that. I mean, they're very beautiful. You know, I they're beautiful. I mean, they're great. I mean, like I, like, I don't like wallpaper. I like, no, I was gonna say I I always prefer like solid walls because I like my mind is busy enough. I can't also have wallpaper patterns. But anyway, if I did like wallpaper, they're they're gorgeous. Um, maybe we could take just like a piece of it and hang it as a piece of art. Oh, bold. As long as, as long as it's not something I can see outside. Right. Or I'm guessing, I don't mean to get ahead (laughs) of you or poison. Well, yeah. So at this point, so they're making all this wallpaper. Oh no, he's got birds on these. What's the point? (laughs) As you guess, as you might guess where we're going, like wallpaper is doing huge business throughout the 1860s and 70s, all throughout the UK, even over in the US, it was big, like wallpapers big his designs are huge this pigment is in tons of different wallpapers that are being made not just his but lots they're being they're being pushed out all over victorian homes everywhere so the poisonous nature of arsenic was already known like they knew what was going into the paint they knew what was going into the dyes for the wallpaper like nobody nobody was ignorant to that they knew that um they actually used to call arsenic inheritance powder Ooh, you get it no because it was poisonous. Um, and if you wanted to inherit something. Oh, I get it now. Okay, yeah. I'm with you. So anyway, so everybody knew it could kill you. I mean, that was not unknown. And it, But it was everywhere. The thing is, it was thought that like the big problem with arsenic is taking too much. As long as you limit how much arsenic you consume or whatever, it, you're going to be okay. So, just, like, just like cashews. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you have a few right. great, eat a pound of cashews, you're not going to feel great. So bakers used it in food coloring at the time. You could have things that had food coloring in them, and they were arsenic-based colors. Oh, my. Um, 
It was sometimes added unknown as well as like a bulking agent, an arsenic-based compound. <laughs> um, there were arsenic complexion wafers that oh, you that, that you took, like you ingested these phrase. wafers, and they would make you because at the time we've talked about this before in the Victorian era, it became fashionable to look very like sort of pale and sickly. Yeah. <laughs> and like, look, look like you had tuberculosis was the, right. that was the, we talked about on the tuberculosis episode. That was very much in fashion. It was a romantic look. And this would make you look pale like, because it made you anemic probably. But anyway, so you could eat arsenic for that. Um, there were these like fake wreaths of leaves and flowers that they would make for um, hair. And that was a very fashionable look at this moment. And they were they were dyed using this arsenic stuff. Actually, artificial flowers were a really common source of poisoning. Like the people who would make these beautiful little artificial flowers would get covered in these dyes and get arsenic poisoning pretty frequently um, because of that. Baby carriage fabric had arsenic Perfect. in it. Clothes had arsenic in them in the dyes. Um, there was even a case of this orphanage in Boston where the babies were getting sick and they finally figured out it was because the um, the staff wore these gorgeous blue aprons that were dyed with arsenic-laden pigment. Mm. And when they would cradle the babies next to their arsenic aprons, God. the babies were getting arsenic poisoned. Anyway, so it was everywhere, right? So, of course, it was in the wallpaper. Of course, it was being used in the dyes. Um, and the, the manufacturing company that made all of Morris's designs they used it too. So that was not strange, but it is fair to say that even as it was everywhere, by the 1860s, there was a growing concern that maybe we're letting the arsenic get out of control. <laughs> maybe too much of this great poisonous stuff. And a lot of this started with the mining industry. So it, okay, it started with copper mining. But when in a copper mine, I guess there are often layers of arsenic sulfide around the copper. Okay. And initially, you would just leave that in place. Now, this was already a problem because as you're mining the copper, you're kicking up arsenic dust. And so this is a problem for the miners. But then later, as copper prices fell, you could also mine the arsenic, which exposed you, of course, to lots of arsenic dust. One such mine that did this, and this all fits into this story, was the uh, Devonshire Great Consolidated Copper Mining Company whose founding shareholder was William Morris Sr. Oh, William Morris's dad. And Junior would lead, later sit on the board of this mining company that went on to mine lots and lots of arsenic. Mm. Um, and the reason I mention all this is because the miners got sick. I mean, this is a story that it we know very well. The, the, the miners got sick, and there was no question that inhaling arsenic all day is bad for you while you're mining arsenic or copper with arsenic around it. Um, and that also, like, they would get skin lesions from touching the arsenic all day. Like, it was very clear people were getting sick from the arsenic. And doctors started raising concern that, you know, we've seen all these miners getting sick, and it looks like this. And then they started putting these pieces together as wallpaper is everywhere, and everybody's got these arsenic wallpapers, like... Could that make you sick? Hold on a second. And then as soon as the Somebody concern is raised, cans. you start noticing like, well, now I did have that one patient that came in the other day and I couldn't explain why they were sick, which to be fair, in the 1860s, we, it's a lot we, we rarely know. knew why yeah. people were sick. Right. <laughs> we were still very early into figuring out why people, 
we barely know now sometimes. But they, so they didn't, they were like, just started attributing this like, oh, people are sick. I wonder if it's a wallpaper. And then lots of unexplained illnesses started to click into place, okay. right? Yeah. Um. So following that, there was a doctor who published his own account of like, you know, I've got this green study <laughs> and I think it's making me sick. Um, people would like take down all their wallpaper and say like they've been miraculously cured because they got rid of their poisonous wallpaper. The Lancet published an article basically saying like, look, we don't know for sure, but it seems bad to have arsenic in your wallpaper all around you all day long. And like, we know arsenic is poisonous because of these miners. And so like, maybe we should not do that anymore. Sid, this is momentous in Sawbones history. This could be the first time that a cure-all is actually effective. The cure-all just take the wallpaper getting down. <laughs> the ar- getting the arsenic out of your house. Like, yeah, it's all it fixes a lot of stuff. It, well, it really arsenic was shifting. Removal. You have to understand this is a moment where we're shifting the idea from too much arsenic is bad for you to <laughs> really any arsenic is not ideal. Um and, uh, and so a lot of wallpaper companies started advertising, hey, we now make arsenic-free mm. wallpaper for your home. Um, now, that took it took a while for people to really care or catch on because they what, if they're not as beautiful, <laughs> you know, humans are always humans. Yeah. Um, and uh, as one doctor wrote at the time, a great deal of slow poisoning is going on in Great Britain. So um, there is a thought that like, as we look at this moment in history where everybody had arsenic on their walls for a few decades and then took it down, the thought was that arsenic dyes are probably okay if the room is dry and well ventilated. Mm -hmm. It's similar to the conversation we've had about asbestos. Just having asbestos in a wall doesn't necessarily make you sick, right? It's when it degrades over time Mm -hmm. or in the removal process. These are the times where you worry about it. And this was the, this was, sort of the same idea we might have about these arsenic-based dyes in the wallpaper. If you have a room dry, well-ventilated, it's probably not poisoning you. But if you do have a room that's damp, um, you've got moisture in the room, and the paper starts to, do like, flake and degrade. Yeah. The glue starts to degrade, all that, you know, like, then it could definitely. And, like, there were cases of, like, kids eating flakes of wallpaper, just like we've heard with lead paint. Sure. Eating flakes of lead paint and getting sick. There was also this concern that was raised later in a paper where, like, if certain fungal growths occurred on the wallpaper, Mm -hmm. um, then that would interact with the arsenic in the Mm -hmm. dye, and then this toxic gas could be released. And they talked about rooms that smelled. Some of them they said mousy, which isn't what we usually associate with arsenic, the um, quote-unquote mousy smell. Mousy? That's what they would say. It would give off a mousy smell. But then sometimes they would say it would give you that garlicky smell, and that is arsenic. There's an arsenic gas compound that is deadly, and it it has a garlicky smell. Ugh. So, like, if you smelled that in a room, it is not unreasonable to think I mean, it could be the wallpaper. Um, so everybody started to get really worried and take down their wallpaper. Morris didn't buy it. It's interesting. It, it's this weird – because this guy was so for – like like I said, he was a socialist. He fought for, like, workers' rights and for um, – Using like safer products, kind of like a, a an environmentalist, you yeah, know. Yeah. But like at the same time, he really didn't think that the arsenic was a problem. Um, he said that the doctors who claimed that 
honestly, the miners who were so sick and that these people with the wallpaper were so sick, he said that the doctors uh, were bitten by the witch fever, which is like the title the if you're interested. Yeah. yeah, if you're interested, Bitten by the Witch Fever is a title of a book about all of this as well. But uh, so it's a very eloquent phrase. Um, unfortunately, he was wrong. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Uh, but by 1883, he also said, you know what, well, why don't we just get rid of the arsenic so we don't have to fight about this anymore? Um, and he would move on to focusing on socialism at that point anyway and kind of like devote his life to activism and not so much to wallpaper. Right. Um, but for about 20 years in the 1800s, wallpaper with arsenic was really in vogue. And we don't know exactly. I mean, like to this day, it's kind of controversial. How did people get sick? We uh, don't know 100%. It's certainly possible. And we have lots of mechanisms. Yeah. But there are other people who write that, like, all of this was sort of a trumped-up concern and that it, it, we, it probably didn't make anybody sick. Um, it was never banned, oh, really? which is interesting. It moved away from it due to consumer pressure. Exactly. In 1903, the British government set standards on how much arsenic you could put in food and drink, <laughs> which is good. That's a good thing yeah. to limit. Um, but not in wallpapers. just people didn't want it anymore. Uh, this is also – I think this is interesting to note um, – this is part of the uh, – this is thought to be part of the inspiration for the story, The Yellow Wallpaper. Have you ever read that no, by Charlotte Perkins Gilman? It's a wonderful story. It's not It's not about wallpaper. Her big inspiration was her own – It's a bad title then. Well, <laughs> I mean it's not – it is not drawing just from this arsenic wallpaper. What it's really about it's – a, it's a wonderful story about her own um, – she had postpartum depression and she was treated with the rest cure at the time, which involved like – sit in a room quietly, sleep all the time, and don't write or draw or interact with humans and stuff, which was really bad, obviously, like really dangerous. Anyway. Depression smoothie. It's a, it's a great it's a great story that's really about the patriarchy and it's a feminist piece and it's wonderful. I would highly recommend it. But also the idea of poisonous wallpaper, you can see where yeah. that inspiration may have come from. And as uh, Chris, who sent us the email suggesting this topic, noted, because of this, um, there are books that to this day, when people are studying old older works of literature, that they can't touch because there was a time period when arsenic was so in vogue where you could also dip your books in arsenic to keep, like, pests out and stuff. Oh, my gosh. So there are books that to this day you can't physically handle because they're just – They've got arsenic in them. It's what I've been saying about books from the beginning, folks. They're, Nothing but trouble. <laughs> they're books of this wallpaper that you can't touch because there's arsenic in them, which is wow. fascinating. Hey, thank you so much for listening to our podcast. Uh, we have a book, if you are interested in that sort of thing. Uh, it's called The Solvents Book. It does not have any arsenic in it. In it. Now, there is yeah, we know it, of. Well, it, there is a part about arsenic, arsenic but not in it, but there's no actual arsenic. arsenic. Yeah. Uh, you can find that wherever fine books are sold. Um what else, Sid? Uh, thanks to the taxpayers for the use of their song medicines as the intro and outro of our program. And thanks to you for listening. We really appreciate it. It's going to do it for us for this week. For Until next time, my name is Justin McElroy. And I'm Sydney McElroy. And as always, don't drill a hole in your head. Org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported. You're in the theater. The lights go down. 
You're about to get swept up by the characters and all their little details and interpersonal dramas. You look at them and think, that person is so obviously in love with their best friend. Wait, am I in love with my best friend? That character's mom is so overbearing. Why doesn't she stand up to her? Oh, good God, do I need to stand up to my own mother? We never know when we'll see ourselves in a movie, but that search for recognition is exactly what we're going to talk about on the podcast, Feeling Seen, with me, Jordan Cruciola. Each episode, we'll bring in a guest to talk about the films that they see themselves in and also the ways that movies have fallen short. So join me every Thursday for the Feeling Seen podcast here on Maximum Fun or wherever you find your podcasts. Podcasts.